Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. Football is marching towards the playoffs, and we're down to the college championship game. And BetOnline remains the number one spot for all the sports action this January. Head to our website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Use the promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% bonus. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers for the 2022 season. Bet online, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However and whenever it is, you may be listening. Thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It easy podcast live on the believe podcast network except it isn't live because it's a podcast welcome in everybody it is nfl monday week 18 the first possible nfl monday week 18 that we've ever had but also our final nfl monday for 2000 21, even if this is technically 2022, the sports calendar doesn't flip until after the Super Bowl for people who are unaware. The, the new year officially isn't until after the Super Bowl. That's when the sports calendar flips officially. This is still technically 2021. So welcome to the final NFL Monday of 2021. Y'all know kind of the basics that we're going to get to here today, but I try to bring some kind of new perspective to the takes that everyone is going to have about the 49ers making the playoffs and the Saints missing it and all of that stuff and the Indianapolis Colts blowing it and Pittsburgh blowing it and the amazing finish in the AFC wildcard race and how all the seeds have fallen out and playoff previews and all that stuff. We're going to try and do some of that but mix it with some intrigue here. And there's obviously, I mentioned it a second ago, but there's two main points we could go to here for our A block and our B block here. One of them is the 49ers and Rams and how that miraculous game finished with an overtime and a playoff vibe to all of it because it's winner go home stakes for the 49ers and you have to win to move on. And if you're the Rams, you thought it was going to be win to get the division, but then the Seahawks came through with 38 points and the Cardinals kind of fell down a little bit and the Rams still get to be a top seed, but now they're the three seed and now they get to play the 49ers again next week and all of that madness all comes together to create a weird, wacky playoff situation. And then, of course, there's the Indianapolis Colts and the Jacksonville Jaguars and how that played out and how Big Ben is now in the playoffs. And that was the story I was totally prepared to talk about because it goes right into the thing we've been talking about the entire season about do we want crazy wild card finishes in our playoffs and the entertainment value of watching football. And that's what I was prepared to start off with. But the 49ers and Rams thing is equally interesting. 
And I want to start with that because we're recording at 5 o'clock West Coast time on Sunday, which means we just got finished watching the 49ers and Rams game. So recency bias is going to take over here. I want to talk about Rams and 49ers first here on the NFL Monday because there are a few points that I found amazingly fascinating. I'm just going to hit some of the stats right off the bat here. First of all, the 49ers had one drive to start the four or at the end of the fourth quarter in Kirk Cousins purgatory. Down 7, 130 to go. Ball at the 12 yard line. They needed to score to keep their playoff hopes alive. The Saints had won against the Falcons. The Saints had decided that Taysom Hill gets hurt. We're just going to hide Trevor Simeon as best as we can. He's like 8 for 13, 62 yards, two touchdowns, replacing Taysom Hill. We're just going to hide Trevor Simeon. We're going to get through the Falcons and then hope that the Rams end up coming out with a victory. Rams are up 17 0 at halftime in that game. Sean McVay never lost in his career when leading at halftime, but if you're going to pick any game where Sean McVay is going to lose at halftime when he has a 17-point lead, it's against Kyle Shanahan. Why? Kyle Shanahan has won five consecutive games against Sean McVay. This was six today. Six consecutive games, three straight seasons of beating Sean McVay in football games. Either it's a ridiculous coincidence or there's some reasoning behind why the zone running scheme of Kyle Shanahan for some reason always trips up Sean McVay. I don't understand why it is. I'm sure there's a reason and someone can explain why it is that Kyle Shanahan has won six consecutive games against Sean McVay unless it's just a crazy, crazy coincidence that this has happened. That just the the ridiculous one in a thousand odds of that possibly happening happening randomly in nature, that the 49ers would win every game against the Rams. 2019, it's explainable because the 49ers were better than the Rams. But the last two years, the idea that the 49ers, who have won 14, no, 16 and 17 over the last two seasons, 16 and 17 has beaten the Rams, who have won 22 games in the last two seasons, I don't understand why it's the case. I don't understand why McVay had never lost a game where he led at halftime and then loses to Kyle Shanahan. I wish there was a better explanation. I don't have it. Uh, All those things were fascinating, but the part that I found most fascinating going in, and it has nothing to do with the fact that the 49ers are going to play the Rams again in the playoffs, or the fact that the Rams gave up the chance to be the number two seed and get to play the Eagles or the Saints. They would have played the Saints in the next round. If they had won that game at the end, they play the Saints. Or the fact that Matthew Stafford threw like three interceptions at the end of the game, and it's the same concern you've had with the Rams the entire season, is what happens when they lose at the end of the 49ers. The part most fascinating to me, and it was the most fascinating thing at halftime and still continued to be such at the end, is... The 49ers went with Jimmy Garoppolo with a torn ligament in his thumb that would normally require five months of recovery, ripped part of the bone off of his thumb, or ripped the ligament off the bone in his thumb, and they went with him over Trey Lance. And the result ends up working out for the 49ers, and by the way, the the zone running scheme is just ridiculous, where... They just take random dudes off the street. They've had like seven different running backs have 100 rushing yards, and now they're just putting Debo Samuel at running back and saying, we can do this with wide receivers in our zone running scheme. I expect them to go sign Cordero Patterson this offseason, and he's going to have 1,500 rushing yards. 
They just they're just taking wide receivers, putting them at running back and saying, "Yeah, you can get 100 yards in a game with our zone running scheme." And they chose Jimmy Garoppolo over Trey Lance, and the result works out. I'm not going to play the result on this one. This was a coin flip game for the 49ers. If, if Jalen Ramsey is one step forward on that last play where he's diving and trying to knock the ball down, but he misses it, and Ayuk gets into the secondary, and it sets up the 49ers with first and goal, if all of that happens that way, and Jalen Ramsey's one step closer, and Jalen Ramsey gets a hand on the pass. The 49ers lose the game. 49ers miss the playoffs. It's just a total coin toss of a game. Entertaining? Ridiculously. Ridiculously, ridiculously entertaining. I'm not arguing that it wasn't an entertaining finish with Jimmy Garoppolo leading it down. But when looking at process in this situation, I'm still amazed that they chose Jimmy Garoppolo over Trey Lance in this situation. When I saw that Garoppolo was going to play during the Red Zone broadcast where they announced he was an active and a full go, I couldn't believe it because why are you choosing Jimmy Garoppolo over Trey Lance? What was the point of trading the three first-round picks if you're not going to develop Trey Lance across this full season? And I know people are articulating, well, you let him sit a year. You let him gain some perspective. He learns things by watching on the sidelines. Sure, but I don't place a lot of value that quarterbacks are going to get significantly better by sitting one season on the bench. I don't think quarterbacks are going from being absolute busts to star quarterbacks by virtue of sitting more games than someone else. People always say, well, Patrick Mahomes sat the first season with Kansas City. Imagine if Patrick Mahomes had played instead of Alex Smith that year. That team started 8-0 with Alex Smith. Imagine if Mahomes had been playing that entire season. They might have been able to kickstart this run a year earlier than they actually did. And so I was surprised that they went with Garoppolo and they they did everything they possibly could to get him just healthy enough to play. And Garoppolo had a fine game. Like, this is not an indictment of Garoppolo's play. It's just what was the process in this situation? I still don't understand why they took Trey Lance in the first place if they were going to fight this hard to get Garoppolo on the field. And then, by the way, on that final uh, drive that set up the touchdown to make it 17-17, and then the Rams scored a touchdown, and then they scored a touchdown with a minute 30 to go. The the drive that made it 17-17 in the fourth quarter, the 49ers did not pass the ball one time. Or, I'm sorry, they passed it one total time on the drive. The one pass was by Debo Samuel. Debo Samuel threw the touchdown to Jawan Jennings as the only pass on the drive. So not only did you put Garoppolo in the game, you put Garoppolo in the game and then just disguised him and let Elijah Mitchell go for 85 yards and Debo Samuel have 45 rushing yards on eight carries. You just disguised Jimmy Garoppolo until the very end when you asked Garoppolo to make plays and Garoppolo still almost took you out of the game because he had those two interceptions. He threw the pick at the very end where Ramsey juggles and catches it. That should have been the game winner for the Los Angeles Rams. That should have been Rams win off that Ramsey play. It's just that Matthew Stafford ended up throwing an interception immediately after. And so this is the this is more from a 49ers standpoint. And again, the 49ers are going to play the Rams next week. So we get to watch this matchup all over again. But I'm just amazed that they kept going with Garoppolo all the way through that. It was incredibly disappointing because I've been saying that for uh, for six months, 
Trey Lance, start week one, start week one, start week three, start week five, start week seven. Jimmy Garoppolo gets hurt. Awesome. We get to find out what Trey Lance has. The 49ers got the playoff spot. They got the comeback. They got the scheme. I don't know why Kyle Shanahan does so well against the Rams, but he does. And I can't explain it, but Kyle Shanahan schemes against the Rams for some reason so much better than anyone else so that they can have 430 rush or 430 yards of offense against one of the best offenses or sorry, one of the best defenses in the NFL. I don't understand how it works, but the 49ers got the result. But if we're playing process instead of result, like we talked about last week with Gage Bridgeford, it's hugely disappointing that with Jimmy Garoppolo having a five-month injury, they fought him back to play in that game. Tremendous from Garoppolo's standpoint, and it will buy him nothing. Tremendous fight back from Jimmy Garoppolo to play in that game, to play for that football team, and to lead that fourth quarter comeback where, again, if Jalen Ramsey's one step closer on the diving batted ball, he knocks it down, it's fourth down, the 49ers go for it, don't convert, Rams win the game. And the season's over then instead of making it to next week. Tremendous effort by Garoppolo to get in, it will buy him nothing because Garoppolo is still going to get traded this offseason by the San Francisco 49ers. Unless they've come to the conclusion... That Trey Lance just isn't it. But even if they have come to that conclusion, which I don't know how that's possible, the reason they also got Trey Lance is because Garoppolo is making $22 million a year and Trey Lance will be on the rookie contract for the next four years as they sign Bosa to a record-setting extension, Kittle to a record-setting extension, Trent Williams record-setting extension, Fred Warner record-setting extension, soon to be Debo with a gigantic contract extension. So... Garoppolo fought his way back and they're still going to move on from him afterwards in the process and so I don't know what the 49ers are doing and if I, if you can't figure out what they're trying to do or you look at it and say this is this doesn't look like competence there's a good chance it probably is incompetence and yes it worked out for the Kansas City Chiefs with Mahomes but that reason was because Mahomes was that gifted of a quarterback before We don't know what Trey Lance is, and I'm not going to say Trey Lance isn't a totally competent quarterback, but I feel like we should have figured it out this season. And yes, the 49ers are going to make the playoffs, and they play the Rams now, so maybe they're going to beat the Rams in the playoffs, and everything's going to work out swimmingly for them. And they're just going to delay the process on Lance down the road. Fine, I suppose. It's really hard to get into the final eight. It's really hard to make the playoffs, and the 49ers did make the playoffs. If they value that playoff appearance awesome for them and they get to play the Rams again so maybe the 49ers are going to win next week but all of that was secondary I suppose in figuring out this process versus results thing was secondary to just a wildly wildly entertaining game and this leads into the next thing I wanted to talk about which is the Colts and the Jaguars because I had been saying all year Why would anyone want to watch the Raiders in the playoffs? Why would anyone want to watch the Steelers in the playoffs? We know they're not good enough to make the playoffs. We know these teams are average to piss poor, and only because the playoffs have expanded to seven teams do they even have a chance to make the playoffs. Whole way through, I'm like, why would anyone want to watch this? Honestly, there's so much football in that wildcard weekend, I'd prefer that two teams get buys and get rewarded for having the top seeds. So we don't have to play the two extra wildcard weekend games. Why? Because I don't give a shit if the Raiders get pummeled by the Kansas City Chiefs 
or if Big Ben has to play the Chiefs in the first round. We saw that like three weeks ago. Chiefs won 38-7 to against Pittsburgh. It's probably going to be the same thing again when the Chiefs play Pittsburgh in the playoffs. And yet, entertainment value is really what I'm going for. Because as much as you want to, like, as much as I say, why the hell would you want to watch the Raiders in the playoffs, and it's an abomination that the Raiders are going to make the playoffs, but not the Colts, or not the Baltimore Ravens, because the Ravens lost Lamar Jackson, and the Ravens could have won the Super Bowl, but the, the Raiders have absolutely no chance of winning the Super Bowl. As much as I say that that sucks... All of this is just for entertainment value. The reason I wanted the Colts and the Ravens to make the playoffs so bad over the Raiders and the Steelers and the Chargers is because of entertainment value. Is because those teams are more entertaining to watch in the playoffs than these other teams who we know are going to get obliterated in the first round because the Raiders haven't scored more than 20 points in a game since... I think one time in the last six weeks, the Raiders scored more than 20 points in a game. And it was against the Colts, they scored 23. And the Steelers went a full season without scoring more than 30 points in a game. Like, we know that they can't score, their, their offenses are not good enough to compete against teams with high upside offenses, and their defenses are okay. Like, the Steelers have a pretty good defense that'll keep them in games, but against the Kansas City Chiefs, so what? So what if you have a good defense, if Kansas City's going to immediately put up 31 on you and you can't score more than 7? But all of that is just for entertainment value. And nothing was more entertaining this entire last two months of football. Nothing was more entertaining than putting the stakes on Indianapolis Colts. You have to win to make the playoffs. And you got pummeled by the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, Pittsburgh and Baltimore. Winner has a chance to make the playoffs. Loser is gone. The thing I talk about all the times is that the only thing that generates interest in sports are stakes and storylines. When you strip everything bare from sports, stakes and storylines are the things that create more interest in sports. When you create the stakes of, hey, Pittsburgh and Baltimore, five minutes left to go in the game. It's Baltimore 10, Pittsburgh 6. Winner, still alive in the playoffs. Loser, eliminated. You've just created playoff-level entertainment in the NFL in a sport where like most sports the regular season does not matter the NFL regular season matters more than the NBA regular season it matters more than baseball's regular season hockey's regular season just because there's fewer games and each game has more stakes to them but when regular seasons in sports don't matter for months at a time having that ending where Baltimore and Pittsburgh are both in win-or-go-home situations, and the Colts have just lost, so now the door is open for both of you. No matter how good or bad the play is, if you add the stakes and storylines to it, it's going to be ridiculously entertaining. We get super excited over NBA play-in games. We get excited over Oral Roberts playing Ohio State in the March Madness and pulling off upsets or Abilene Christian beating the University of Texas. If you put stakes and storylines behind anything, you will draw in sports fans. And it was ridiculously entertaining to watch those last five minutes of regulation and ten minutes of overtime between the Pittsburgh Steelers 
and the Baltimore Ravens, where Ben is methodically working down the field, like six yards at a time, six yards at a time. Maybe Chase Claypool has a yards after catch touchdown from eight yards out, but it's just like little play, little play, little play, 13-10, boom, Huntley has a big play to Mark Andrews, and all of a sudden the Ravens are in field goal range, and now we're going to overtime. And so now you literally have win-or-go-home stakes. You either score and win or you give the ball up to the other team. And it's so freaking entertaining. And ultimately, I could bitch and complain about how I didn't want the Pittsburgh Steelers to make the playoffs, or I didn't want to watch Tyron Huntley get demolished in the playoffs, or watch the Raiders have to play in the playoffs. But damn it, if it wasn't ridiculously interesting to watch Pittsburgh and Baltimore essentially playing a play-in game to make the playoffs in overtime. Like, that becomes one of the games of the year, not because the game was actually entertaining, but because you've put actual stakes and storylines behind games. I wish every game could have stakes and storylines. We try to pretend like they do, but they really don't. We try and invent different storylines as a way to keep interest all throughout the season, it really doesn't work. At least it doesn't work on me anymore. Sometimes I, I, I remember last year and the year before kind of living in a false reality of caring about every week's events and every week's score. It really doesn't matter in that way. And it was so amazingly captivating, interesting. Something I was entertained by so much was the Steelers' shitty offense and Tyler Huntley's shitty offense going back and forth in a 13-13 game, which I would bemoan and laugh at all season long. But if you tell me the winner's going to make the playoffs and the loser's not, it's an elimination game, in, all the way in. And it was one of the most entertaining finishes of the year. They said both on the red zone and on the broadcast, this could be Big Ben's last pass on a fourth and eight at the 40-yard line. Because a tie, you're eliminated no matter what. But the Steelers going for it on 4th and 8, and Baltimore's 3rd string secondary blowing a coverage, and Pittsburgh picking up 11 yards. It was so fascinating. And I've hated every second of the last two years watching the Pittsburgh offense. Hated every second of it. Until that point. Because you put stakes and storylines behind that game, and it was thoroughly entertaining. So yeah, Unfortunately, the Steelers are going to make the playoffs and get destroyed. And the Colts didn't get to make the playoffs. And the Colts deserve to make the playoffs. The Colts were a better team all season long than Pittsburgh, than the Raiders, than the Chargers, than even, I mean, at least for the last half of the season, than the goddamn Tennessee Titans who won the one seed in the AFC. And the Colts are not going to get to make the playoffs. But Pittsburgh is... And I'm not even upset about it because ultimately the reason I was talking about that was for entertainment value. It's that it's more entertaining to watch the Colts play in the playoffs than it is to watch the Steelers play in the playoffs. And that's undoubtedly true. But without that Colts loss and without the storylines of following the Colts getting dismantled by the Jaguars today, this wouldn't have been as interesting. It feels like an extra playoff week sometimes with Week 18. Last year it didn't really do it except for the Titans who would have gotten the 7 instead of the 4, having a kick hit the upright and go through, and it was chaotic and fun. And yeah, sometimes you get playoff weeks 
when you add stakes and storylines to it. And that's kind of what week 18 kind of became. And so as much as I'm upset that the team that deserved it most didn't make the playoffs in the Indianapolis Colts, not even upset about this one. Pittsburgh, you can get dismantled in a playoff game. I'll just do the thing where I just, well, well, basically just nut to the idea of Patrick Mahomes throwing five touchdowns against the Steelers defense and winning 42-3. to I'll enjoy that instead of watching the Indianapolis Colts or the Los Angeles Chargers actually give them a chance or give them a fight or give us an entertaining playoff game to watch on Super Wild Card Weekend. I think we got more entertainment value out of that end with Pittsburgh and Baltimore than we would have gotten with the Colts beating the Jaguars and just moving on that way. Which, by the way, Indianapolis, let's get to you now. Because, woof. To go from being 9-6 and six and winning like 8 games out of 9, Jonathan Taylor and the MVP frontrunner, and then COVID wipes out your team a little bit, and you lose to the Raiders at home and the Jaguars in Jacksonville with Trevor Lawrence looking great. The thing I said all year, I'm giving Trevor Lawrence a pass. Giving Trevor Lawrence a pass. Giving Trevor Lawrence a pass. And Trevor Lawrence, last game of the year, leaves people on a good note to think, hey, Trevor Lawrence has something good in the tank and the Jaguars still get the number one pick. So, yeah, giving him a pass for this season. I think this is probably the best it could have gone for Jacksonville post-Urban Meyer. They get to reset, they get to hire a new coach, they get to draft with the one pick, they get to go through that whole process again. The thing that I find infinitely interesting from a Jacksonville or from an Indianapolis Colts standpoint is the Carson Wentz experience. Colts fans, you have to be absolutely dead after this season of the Carson Wentz experience. That had to just be brutal for you. Just had to be brutal to go through the Carson Wentz experience and for that to be the end result of you're in the playoffs the the closest thing to a guarantee that you can find is the Indianapolis Colts against the Jacksonville Jaguars I picked them 13 points on the spread the game went under because the Colts couldn't score more than 11 points Jonathan Taylor had 77 yards at halftime he had 15 rushing yards Carson Wentz finished with a 74 passer rating and after it's all said and done on the season Carson Wentz had some uh, the Carson Wentz experience the, the best example I could give for it was that game against the uh Tampa Bay Buccaneers where in the first half he had 70% completion percentage 150 yards and three touchdowns in the second half he had uh, 58% completion percentage, zero touchdowns, two interceptions, 90 yards. It's just wildly sporadic in the Carson Wentz experience. One game, he's going to have a 49 passer rating and they win. And then he's going to have a 86 passer rating and they lose to the Raiders. Like just wildly sporadic. And Carson Wentz finishes the year 94 passer rating. The league average 91, which makes Carson Wentz, when it's all said and done, slightly an above-average quarterback. Sometimes a a Tier 2 quarterback, and sometimes the guy who's going to get dismantled by the Jacksonville Jaguars in the final week of the season to make it so the Colts miss the playoffs. And the Eagles made the goddamn playoffs, and they get the Colts' first-round pick. It's pretty freaking incredible how some of this stuff works out. So yeah, Indy, that one really has to suck. Not necessarily, even the playoff spot is going to hurt, 
because you guys were probably like you could make the argument the third best team in the AFC but the Carson Wentz experience for the next three seasons that one is gonna hurt that is gonna really really hurt going into this offseason you got three more years of the Carson Wentz experience So, for the purposes of transparency here, uh, we recorded the last 28 minutes or so before the absolute clusterfuck that was the end of that Chargers and Raiders game. And that was just the dumbest shit ever. That Chargers-Raiders game was the most amazing dumb shit that has ever existed in the NFL. And I'm recording this immediately after the conclusion, and it's late. It's past my bedtime, but holy shit, that was stupid. That was absolutely stupid. From the Raiders blowing the 14-point lead right at the end, which, by the way, is something totally feasible. When you know the Chargers are a better team than the Raiders, and they make that comeback, it is something that is... It's it's something kind of anticipated, but then it's happening and you don't know what the hell is going on. And then with the no timeouts at the end of the game, the Chargers go, well, they had three timeouts for the whole drive, but then they used them relatively early. They convert three fourth downs. The Chargers have a 19 play, 85 yard drive, every single play a pass. It only took up two minutes and six seconds. The last play of the game is a touchdown to keep the season alive. They play to overtime. Then the Raiders kick a field goal in overtime. The Chargers kick a field goal in overtime. And we have the classic scenario that everyone was talking about earlier in the week where the Colts lost to the Jaguars, the Steelers won, which means a tie between the Chargers and Raiders knocks one of the teams out of the playoffs. And if you're playing this purely from an analytics standpoint... The Raiders should have just ran out the clock. When you got to two minutes left in the game and the ball was at the 40-yard line, this is classic prisoner's dilemma at this point because the Raiders ran two run plays. They didn't need to make the kick. They missed the kick. They're still in the playoffs. When they get to that last moment of the game, Raiders clinch no matter what. So they run the ball twice, and then Staley calls a timeout. With 38 seconds left to go, and in a classic Prisoner's Dilemma moment, Staley didn't trust Basaccia to do right in that situation, and so he changed his formation. Jacobs picked up the first down anyways, and the Raiders kicked a 47-yard field goal. Now, in that situation, would the Raiders have probably kicked a 56-yard field goal anyways as the game was coming to an end? Yes, possibly so. If they don't pick up those extra nine yards they probably still kick the field goal anyways. But if the Raiders kneel on it and the Chargers don't call the timeouts at the end, they can run the game into a tie, both teams make the playoffs, and it eliminates the Pittsburgh Steelers, as everyone probably saw on Twitter or social media right at the end of that game. And yet, the classic prisoner's dilemma did not work out 
for the Los Angeles Chargers because Staley called a timeout instead of trusting Basaccia. For those who don't know, the prisoner's dilemma is basically the idea that if you trust the other person to not rat the other person out, then you yourself stay safe. It's basically like you have two prisoners who are both asked to snitch on the other person. If you trust that the other person won't snitch, both of you will benefit because neither know the information. But if you don't know that what the other person is going to do, then you could snitch on the other person. But if you both snitch, both of you are going to get in trouble. But if you snitch, you're okay and the other person doesn't. But if you don't know what the other person is going to do, how do you analyze your decision making? Do you snitch on the other person and get both of you in more trouble? If the other person has snitched already... Does that mean you need to snitch on them so that both of you get in more trouble? How does this work? It's a classic prisoner's dilemma. And so Staley didn't trust Bisaccia to just run out the clock and kick the field goal anyways. So they change formation. The Raiders pick up the first down, which they might have picked up the first down anyways. The Chargers are one of the worst rushing defenses in the NFL. But the Raiders pick up the first down kick the game-winning field goal, which they didn't have to do. That was just them, you know, part of it was entertainment value, and you don't always play into the analytics, but you have a 100% chance of winning the game if you just run out, or sorry, 100% chance of making the playoffs. If you don't take another snap at the end of the game, 100% chance of making the playoffs. And the Raiders still called the timeout, still played for the win, and still got into the playoffs. They essentially at that point, if you run out the clock, you make the playoffs. If you kick the field goal, you make the playoffs. The only way you lose is a miracle, or a, I forgot what it's called. Um, the the play where Herm Edwards picks up a fumble. It's Miracle at the Meadowlands, I think is what it's called. It happened in the 1980s where the Giants could have just need out the clock, but they called a run play instead to kill clock. Guy fumbles, Herm Edwards picks it up, scores a touchdown for the Eagles. It's the reason everyone does kneel downs at the end of games now instead of doing run plays is because of Herm Edwards picking up a fumble for the Eagles to beat the Giants. When the Giants could have kneeled, they called a run play and fumbled. And so the Raiders at that point, the only way that they lose is a blocked field goal or a botch snapped, picked up by the Chargers and taken back for a score. The odds of that happening are are basically minuscule, but if you're playing analytical football, 99.9% chance is technically worse odds than a 100% chance. Both are very likely to happen, but you did not have to kick the field goal. That was just you playing entertainment value and not playing the numbers. That is playing entertainment value on fuck the Chargers, fuck the tie, we're going to the playoffs, and we're going to kick your asses out of the playoffs, which is perfect. We talked about on Wired Up how it's been five years since I've been a Chargers fan, and that would have tortured me. That would have tortured me if they don't get that win. If they don't get that one win as a Chargers fan, and you could have had it if they just ran out the clock, oh, that would hurt so bad. And yet, neither person trusted the other person to do the analytically correct thing. Both teams get a 100% chance of making the playoffs, no weird fumble, no whatever, but the Raiders were also in a position of power to knock out the Chargers. It was beautiful chaos. That was one of the most fun 
crazy-ass experiments of psychology and football that we will ever see again. And it's not like we didn't have something similar last year where the Eagles tanked the last game of the season so Washington could get in the playoffs and Giants fans were pissed. But from Justin Herbert converting four fourth and longs in that fourth quarter overtime and having a last second game winning touchdown and that being like the sixth stupidest thing that happened in that fourth quarter overtime alone, that game was just absolutely special and I wish I could have made content on comical sports rest in peace because that would have been great for building up engagement didn't happen and that's okay because we still get this wonderful memory of a ridiculously fucking stupid Chargers and Raiders game by the way I should mention this too the AFC playoffs absolute clusterfuck just an absolute clusterfuck in the AFC playoffs you have the Chargers going out. The Steelers play the Chiefs. The Raiders just luck their way into the five seed, even though we know the Raiders aren't actually good. Raiders five. Patriots play the Bills in the 6-3 matchup. And if the Bills win, they play the Chiefs. So the Bills, Chiefs, and Patriots are going to eliminate each other, which means if the Bills beat the Patriots, it guarantees that either the Raiders, Bengals, or Titans are going to make the AFC championship, and it's absolute atrocities across the board, even if the Chiefs are going to win the AFC in the end, just absolutely batshit crazy in the AFC playoffs right now with an absolutely batshit finish to the 2021 season with Chargers, Raiders, Prisoner Dilemma, unheard of situation that now makes it so that the Colts and Justin Herbert are not going to make it to the playoffs, but the Raiders and the Steelers are, and it was absolute chaos, and I loved every second of it. It was just like NFL crack cocaine straight in your body right there. Just absolute batshit crazy finish to the Chargers Raiders regular season. Looks like the last time we're going to get to use that again, but congratulations to the Miami Dolphins on coming in 9-8 and eight on the 2021 season. Just one win away from sneaking your way into the playoffs, or even one tie away from sneaking your way in. One loss to the Jaguars, and you guys would have made the playoffs, unlike the Steelers who tied against the Lions if you guys would have tied against the Lions, you would have been in the playoffs. So it was great while it lasted, Miami. Uh, you beat the Patriots, and uh, I guess it just meant the Patriots don't get to win the division, but I think Bill Belichick kind of was okay with it. He seemed a little happy after the game, or maybe not happy, but he didn't seem too downtrodden after Mac Jones threw a pick six and looked like a rookie quarterback again because the Patriots were exactly the team I thought they would be in end result. I said... 
12 and 5 and be the 5 seed, but I think that was a little bit too generous for the Patriots. 11 and 6 is more of a 5 seed type record in the AFC, and they're probably the fourth best team in the AFC, maybe fifth best team in the AFC. I know they're better than the Titans, so if they met up with the Titans in the second round of the playoffs, the Patriots could mess around and find their way to the AFC championship, but we can talk about that down the road. What I just wanted to do is make sure that we covered that Dolphins and Patriots game somewhere in our recap. So we promised to talk about all of the games here, even the ones that are kind of irrelevant here on the NFL Monday podcast and memes of the weekend combined. It's one long hour and 30 minutes about the NFL Sunday that was and We've got a few more games I want to talk about here. First and foremost, damn you Houston Texans for giving me hope. Damn you Houston Texans for giving me hope that maybe just maybe the Tennessee Titans wouldn't have to be the one seed in the playoffs wouldn't go through Nashville, which is complete bullshit because I'm going to say it here. The Tennessee Titans, probably the sixth best team in the AFC. This could be like the change my mind meme guy, but I feel very confident saying Tennessee Titans, sixth best team in the AFC, and yet they're going to end up being the only team in the AFC that gets a first round bye. Kind of unfortunate how that one worked out, but you know what? Sometimes just the way the cookie crumbles on that one. So damn you, Houston, for getting pummeled and then scoring 18 unanswered points and giving me hope that you would actually come out and win that game. Uh, Seattle Seahawks. Would have been the seventh seed if Russell Wilson hadn't gotten hurt for those six weeks. Feel pretty confident saying that. Seattle was the best of the options in the NFC, and they played equal level to the Arizona Cardinals, which I know one game sample size isn't the best measurement. This is also the team that lost to the Bears at home not that long ago. But feel pretty confident saying, like, if not for the Russell Wilson injury, Seattle would have gotten the seventh seed. And it makes sense why... The Seahawks have decided that, now nah, we're not done with Russell Wilson. Corporate Russell can try and force his way out if he wants, but we ain't trading no Russell Wilson, and we will be willing to part with Pete Carroll over Russell Wilson, which I guess at that point you're just doing it to say you did it because I don't know how many better options you're going to find than Pete Carroll as a head coach. It, like when the, I talk about this on Memes of the Weekend, but when you fire Vic Fangio, you can find another Vic Fangio. I'm not quite as certain it's easier to find another Pete Carroll but maybe the Seahawks don't need a Pete Carroll maybe the Seahawks need an Eric Bieniemy, or maybe the Seahawks need a Kellen Moore or an innovative offensive mind to maximize the talent on the roster because you could argue whoever they get will succeed in Seattle because they have that quarterback yes that aging quarterback but still Hall of Fame quarterback Russell Wilson so yeah Seahawks did a nice number on the Arizona Cardinals. Congratulations to them. Any other games that we missed here that we need to cover? We got Baltimore and Pittsburgh in there. We got Indian Jacksonville. We got Rams, uh, New Orleans. We got them in here. Vegas, enjoying that victory for Vegas. And everything else, I think, is memes of the weekend. So with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, this concludes our final NFL Monday podcast for the 2021 season. I appreciate each and every one of you stopping in here throughout the NFL season. It is much, much appreciated. Uh, Thank you again for stopping by uh, and check out Memes of the Weekend. Check out Wired Up we did on Sunday. I talk about my connection to the Chargers in five years since the team left for Los Angeles and the creation of all of this and spew a little bit of vulnerability and therapy as I try and figure out 
what the hell to do next with my life and how we're going to transition this podcast into doing other work in the sports industry. We'll figure all that out down the road, but I appreciate each and every one of you for stopping in here. It is much, much appreciated. And as always, take it easy, everybody. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. Enjoy the national championship game, too. I know we didn't talk about that at all here, but yeah, college national championship game. It's tonight. We'll talk about it on Tuesday. Thanks, everybody, and take it easy. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.